And happy Easter. Come on, let's celebrate together this morning. It's so good to see you. You can go ahead and take a seat. And uh, my name is Carlos, and I'm a pastor here at Reality. And if this is your first time, man, we're so grateful that you came today. I want you to know, uh, we say this almost every week, but this is a safe place for you to be able to explore the claims of Jesus. And guess what? If you speak Spanish, today is also the first day we got Spanish translation available to you, okay? So if you need it, okay, we have a table outside. Pastor Gus is actually there. He's got a couple of things that he can hook you up with. If somebody needs to hear this in Spanish, the language of heaven, be my guest, okay? So um, I wanna read to you probably the most famous verse in all of the scripture And I pray that this would be fresh to you today, that you would gain an understanding of this text and that God would do something in your heart. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter three, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Would you pray with me once more? God, open our eyes and our ears to understand this text, to understand the depth of your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1938, there was a group of researchers at Harvard University who set out to do the largest longitudinal study on human experience ever done in the history of humanity. They wanted to understand the habits that led to a life of fulfillment, to a life of happiness. And so they recruited over 250 people and they examined them for 75 years, 75 years, to understand what were the things economically, psychologically, spiritually, that led to a life of happiness. It was called the Grant Study, and it became the longest running study on human development. With the remaining participants now entering their 90s, The last researcher, a guy by the name of George uh, Violent, he decided to bring it to a close by publishing this incredible study and phenomenal book called The Triumph of Experience. After more than 75 years of research into what makes us happy, into what makes humans fulfilled, he realized a couple of things. Yes, factors such as education, factors such as Uh, the quality of somebody's marriage, factors such as the healthy habits that a person can espouse mattered. But there was only one thing that really led to a vibrant and fulfilled life. Do you know what it is? It was love. Love. The capacity to love and to be loved was the point 
of human existence. But are we surprised? (laughs) Human beings seem to intuitively know that we need to be loved and to love others. We will do all sorts of things for love. You could just remember your high school days. You'll do all sorts of things to keep it, to save it, to reconcile it, to gain it, to recover it, to enjoy it in its interlaced in the very fabric of the existence of our souls because it is reflective in the very heart of God. And it is love that sends Jesus to the cross. It is love that sends him on a mission to have a relationship with you and with me. The resurrection is love and it's power on display for the whole world to see. Here's what I came here to tell you today and it's very simple. It's a very simple truth that I pray that God cements in your heart today. Listen, God loves you. God loves you and his love will change your life. God loves you, and his love will change your life. There's at least four kinds of people that come to church on an Easter Sunday, right? You may be here and you are curious and skeptical about the claims of Christianity. Maybe somebody dragged you here this morning, you don't really wanna be here. Maybe you're still sort of getting your feet wet and you come once in a while or you're a follower of Jesus and you're here regularly. I wanna tell you this, wherever you are on that spectrum of faith, God loves you. God loves you and his love will change your life. But why should you care? Why do you need this message today? It's because as you can see, even those who are not Christian, they understand that there's something in the human heart that needs love. And my contention to you this morning from the scripture, from the Bible, is that you were created to experience the love of God and the love of people. Why should you care? Because listen, this is how we were designed, to experience this love and the love of other people. and. I think Jesus is pretty much the most important person in human history. And he changed the world upside down without having any political power, any military might. But rather he used people, ordinary people, to change the world. Don't you think you should consider his claims today? That's why we celebrate Easter, because of what he's done in history on the cross. His love can change you. And how does it change you? What kind of love does Jesus offer to you today? Well, number one, um, what we learn in this text is that his love is unmerited. You cannot earn it. His love is unmerited. Look at the text one more time. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, did you know that Jesus is actually saying these words to a man who was curious about what he came to do. He was a man who was skeptic, a man by the name of Nicodemus. 
And Nicodemus was an intellectual man. He was a learned man. He had status in society. He was in the religious elite. He comes under the cover of night, we learn. He doesn't want to experience social shame, right? He's like, man, I'm going to go check out this Jesus that people are talking about. I don't, but I want to make sure not a lot of people know about it, okay? Maybe you feel a little bit that way this morning, okay? It's, it's Easter. It's safe to go to church today, okay? <laughs> and so Nicodemus comes, and he begins to talk to Jesus and asks him these questions. What must I do, right? What must I do to experience what you're talking about, okay? This is a man who has talked about the kingdom of God, but he's never experienced it himself. He knows the right things to say. He's got a family. He is smart. He is established. He is religious. He's religious. But he's missing something. Reminds me of a quote by a guy called Philip Yancey who says this. It's kind of, Nicodemus is a little bit like some Americans today. This is what Philip Yancey says. He says, the main emotion of the adult American who has all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment. Nicodemus had everything. And yet there was something that was missing in his heart. And here's what Jesus says to him in John 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot even see it. You will not be able to understand what I'm telling you if you are not born again, if the spirit of God doesn't move in your heart so that you can even understand the realities of Jesus Christ. You see, when a person is born again, and that's been sort of used and misused over time, when a person is born again, two things happen. There's a theologian that puts it like this. He says, number one, you gain new sensibilities and you gain a new identity. New sensibilities and a new identity. When you are born again, when Jesus comes inside of your heart, here's what happens. You begin to be sensitive to things that you weren't sensitive to before. You begin to see new kingdom realities. All of the stuff that we're talking about, suddenly your eyes are open and you begin to see how God is moving throughout history. You gain a new sensibility, but then you also gain a new identity. Think about what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's saying, listen, you have to be born again. In other words, it's like you have to become a child again. There's something there. It's like you can bring all of your religious intellectualism here. But that is not going to matter, Nicodemus. That's not what saves you. It's not your status. It's not what you can do. There's nothing that you can learn or know. You literally have to be changed from the inside out by the Spirit of God. And that happens when you gain new sensibilities and a new sense of identity. You must be born again. That's what Jesus says. Think about what the metaphor is. And Nicodemus, how does he respond? He responds like many of you, uh, many of you, many of us. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Like, you sound pretty wild, Jesus. If you look at the entire dialogue, Nicodemus is blown away. He's wanting to learn some new spiritual truth that he can achieve himself, but he can't. Because that's not how you earn and how you experience the love of God. If you're here and you want to experience that in your own life, you can only receive it. You cannot earn it. God loves you just as much today as he will in the future. There's nothing you can do today to make God love you more or to make him love you any less because the basis of his love is not on your performance. 
It's on what Jesus Christ has done. His love is unmerited. You cannot earn the love of God. That's why Jesus then says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He didn't say, man, for God so, like he was so admired by what you guys have done. Dude, he was impressed, all right? You guys really turned the ship around, okay? No, this comes from God. It's unmerited. You cannot earn it. You can only receive it. This is an incredible love. A love with no conditions. Have you experienced that kind of love? An unconditional, everlasting love. Listen to this. His love is not only unmerited, his love is also sacrificial. It's sacrificial. God loves you so much that he gave his only son. He gave him, he sent him for you. He loves you. And his love transforms our life. I love what Gardner C. Taylor says. He says this, God's love is not a love that looks for what it can get, but for what it can give. That's the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for you and for me. But of course, in Miami, okay, especially if you live in a big city, sometimes that's not the way love works. Even in the best human relationships, generally, people have reciprocity. You know what I'm talking about? And in Miami especially, like if you know somebody that knows somebody else that's gonna hook you up, that has a side gig with the third income, he's gonna hook you up, but you gotta hook him up first. <laughs> I scratch your back, you scratch my back. You know what I'm talking about? That's the 305, that's miami.craigslist.com, right? <laughs> it's all there, I promise you. In Miami, somebody can always hook you up, but that hook you up comes with strings, doesn't it? It comes with strings, right? In a lot of big cities, and I love this place. We love Miami here at Reality, amen? We do, we love the city, and we're also honest about her. <laughs> what I love about God is that he isn't like that. His love is sacrificial, it is generous, it is self-giving, it has no conditions. It reminds me of the story of Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy many years ago he was at the Super Bowl breakfast and he began to share the impossible, the terrible story about his son who a year earlier had actually committed suicide. It was unbearable, unbearable. It nearly completely broke his life. I cannot imagine that kind of pain. It doesn't matter which way you slice it, this is this is the kind of loss that is incomprehensible. Dungy is talking with tears in his eyes and he says, although I lost my son, somehow there was some good that came out of it. Is this not the nature of grief, by the way? If you're here and you're grieving, that somehow all of these emotions of joy and sadness and longing all of it gets intermixed. It can be very devastating and Dungy's talking about his son. The reason he says something good came out of it is because after his funeral, he began to receive these letters from people. His son had become an organ donor and one letter that he received said that a young man had received sight because he had received his son's corneas. 
he received another letter from a parent saying that their daughter was now able to breathe. She was able to live because she had her son's lungs. Another person wrote him saying thank you because they had received a liver transplant. In some impossible way, his son's death led to life for many others. Dungy continued to speak and he said, you know what, if God had spoken to me before taking my son, before my son took his life, and he would have told me that many people were going to live because of my son, that if I were to give him up, then somebody was gonna be able to receive sight, I would have said no. If, if, um, if God had come to me and said, you know what, somebody's gonna be able to breathe again because of your son's death if you send him. Tony Dungy says, I would have said no. If somebody was gonna be able to walk again because of my son, if he was taken from me, I would have, I would have told God, no way, you cannot Take my son. And then Dungy said this, but I'm so glad that God isn't like me. Because 2,000 years ago, he had to come to a point of decision. And you know what he chose? He chose to send his son to die for you on a cross, to sacrifice himself so that you could live. And because of that, listen, because of that, because of his victory over death, sicknesses can be healed. The blind receive sight, the lame stand and walk because he died. He opened the way to salvation so that you and me can experience his everlasting love. This is the kind of love that Jesus offers to you. It's unmerited, you cannot earn it. It's also a love that is sacrificial. He sacrificed himself for you. It's like God looked at humanity and he said, you were worth loving to death. This is his incredible love. Not only that, I, one thing I appreciate about God's love is not only that it's unmerited, it's a love also that is sacrificial, but number three, it's a love that is honest. It's an honest love, and here's, I'm gonna tell you in a moment what I mean by that. When I was growing up, you know what my parents used to tell me? They used to say, love is blind. Love is blind, you know, el amor es ciego, right? And, um, and of course, I mean, I was the kind of child, to be honest with you, that I was a hopeless romantic. In high school especially, oh, that did not go well for me. Um, <laughs> And I would have all of these imaginary conversations, you know. I was that kid. I was that kid that, you know, I, I would become infatuated with girls. And, and here's the thing. I didn't even speak the language yet. <laughs> of course I had all these imaginary conversations, you know. It's like chemically impossible. I don't know if you know that initially when people fall, quote, unquote, in love, when they're infatuated, it's like chemically impossible to find something wrong with them. Love truly is blind. I remember the first time my wife Cassie and I, we went to premarital counseling. If you've ever done that, right? We wanted to get married and we went to premarital counseling. And we got to that session about fighting fair. Oh, you gotta learn how to fight with each other. And <laughs> we looked at the counselor in front of us and we're like, dude, we never fight. <laughs> 
we've never had a fight. And he's like, you can't get married, dude. <laughs> you don't know her. I'm like, I'm telling you, this must be the most perfect relationship in the history of humanity. Like, we do not fight. We love Jesus. We're committed to ministry. This is where we're going. Well, we had to learn how to fight for sure. Um, see, love is blind. That's not true love. That's not true love. True love is when you're able to look somebody in their eyes and see their flaws and still love them. It's a sincere, honest love. And when God looks at you and me, it's not this pampering love that he offers to you and to me. It's an honest love. This is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Right after he says, hey, listen, God so loved the world that he sent his son. He says this in verse 17. Look, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not the purpose of God. If that's the image of God that you carried into this place today, that's not the nature of God. God is a good God who is loving. He didn't, want to, he didn't send us in to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, right? God is not the man upstairs waiting and seeing when you're gonna get it wrong. That's not the picture of the biblical God. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's sincere. God looks at us. Here's the reality. It's like I've given you my son so that you may have eternal life, and if you reject him, you will be eternally separated from me. This is the truth. And then he says this in verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light unless his works should be exposed. Why does Jesus have to come and die? It's because of the darkness in the human heart. It's because of our sin. It's because of what we have done. Can you get a picture of this sincere love? He's honest. He's like, this is what's happened. You have violated the law of God and you have preferred sin over me. When you have lied and cheated and schemed and stolen and done all of these different things, here's what you did. You chose to do evil rather than good. God doesn't minimize sin. He doesn't say, man, it was just a mistake, it's okay. I'm just gonna send my son to die. No, it's not something small. But because we're swimming in an ocean that normalizes everything that is evil and normalizes sin, like, oh, when people, it's just not a big deal, don't worry, people make mistakes all the time. Listen, God says, listen, here's the truth. On account of your sin and mine, I sent my son Jesus, this is serious. Sin matters, it corrupts the human heart. All you have to do is look around in the world. You can look at the history of your family and many times what you will see is you will see the consequences of the sin that is found in the human heart. God says, listen, I came because there was wickedness in you. There was evil, there was sin. And, and here's the thing, 
God says this in Romans 6.23. He says the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what keeps us from coming to know Jesus and coming from coming to experience Jesus? It's not like intellectual quandaries, they're really important, but when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at his interactions, especially with people who had these intellectual doubts, at the end of the day, Jesus says, you know what, at the end of the day, it's actually your sin that keeps you from having a relationship with me. It's simpler than that. I'm gonna acknowledge your doubts. When he talks to Thomas, when he talks to Nicodemus, he engages in the conversation. But at the end of the day, what happens is what separates you from experiencing the love of God is your sin that Jesus Christ came to pay for on the cross. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says this, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin. He made sin to be sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus stood in our place. The wages of sin was death and he loved us so much that he came to absorb the guilt, the shame, the punishment of our sins that we deserve for being liars and all of these different things that we do, right? The things that we have sinned, God took them upon himself on the cross pay a price for the penalty of that sin so that you and me can be free. Isn't that incredible? He paid the price for you and for me so that we can be free, so that you don't have to be enslaved to your sin anymore, so that your main identity is not, you know, John the liar, John the cheater, John the whatever. You fill in the blank. Whatever you struggle with, Jesus Christ came to pay for that, and he can set you free from it. And he comes with his sacrificial, honest, unmerited love that leads us to repentance. I love that part of the text where it says that he didn't come to condemn the world. He came that he might save the world through Jesus Christ. It's the love of God. Listen, today, it's the love of God that leads us to his feet, that leads us to what Christians call repentance, to turn our life towards him. So it's an unmerited love. It is a love that is honest. It is a love that is sacrificial. And finally, it is a love that is everlasting. Look at what John 3.16 says one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, eternal life. The Greek language in which the New Testament was written has two words for life. The word bios, we get biology from, physical life, and the word zoe, which means like a fulfilled life, an abundant life. Well, what, what we are being offered in this text is not just an extension of life. Some people, when they hear this verse, they're like, oh man, so we're gonna live forever and we're gonna be like what, playing harps and stuff in heaven? Is that what he's offering, you know? That's not the offer that he promises. He says, I'm gonna give you Zoe. I'm gonna give you the life that your heart longs for. And it's going to be eternal. It's going to be everlasting. It's not just an extension of biological existence. It is a transformation of your existence. 
God doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have eternal life. And I love that his love never ends. It's an everlasting love. It's not ephemeral. It's not temporary. It's a love that lasts. It is a secure love. And there's a longing inside each of us that longs toward that kind of destiny that is everlasting. I am convinced there's something in the human heart that longs for that kind of transcendence. That when you achieve whatever you want to achieve, there's still something in you that says, is there more to life than this? Well, God says in Ecclesiastes that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. That there's something in you, hardwired inside, that longs to go back to the way things were. That longs to go back because God didn't design you originally to die. He designed you to live forever. We were made for that, with, for, to have everlasting life with God. This becomes a reality when you are faced with the ultimate questions of life, when you're faced with death. I remember, especially during the height of COVID, people began to ask questions about what is life? What is death? What does this mean? Is there life after death? You know what Jesus says? He says, yes, there is. That longing that you have in your heart is something that I've put in there a longing for eternity that only I can meet. The writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, a man by the name of C.S. Lewis, he, uh, he says this, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. God has put this inside of our hearts so that we're gonna find our way back to his love. His love is everlasting. Jesus reveals to us that there is a place after death, that he rose again in order that you might experience this kind of life. And that reminds me, of course, of the movie Avatar. <laughs> it came out again, so um, that's cool. It may surprise you that it is the highest grossing movie of all time. Did you know that? It's Avatar, uh, besides, getting away, besides getting away with the papyrus font, okay? Um, it is a science fiction movie about a planet called Pandora. If you've been to Animal Kingdom, then you kind of get an idea of what Pandora is like, at least in somebody's imagination. The main character has to adopt this avatar. Uh, it's, you know, he's got to interact with this alien species that is very different from human beings. Have you seen the movie? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The avatar is a body that he inhabits, and it gives him the experience of this alien. And so he begins to like fly on top of dragons and he goes into this world of Pandora and everything shines at night. I don't know how people sleep in here. Um, it's, it's, um, it's this floating islands. If you've ever been on the ride, it's pretty cool, okay? When, uh, when the movie was released, here's what's wild. When the movie was released, there were a number of articles that were released about how the movie was affecting people. One article that a major news outlet wrote, I want to read it to you. It says this, ways to cope with the depression of the dream of Pandora being intangible. Thousands of people posted comments on this article because they couldn't get over the fact 
that they were not going to be able to live in this world. That was a sad note, JV. <laughs> the timing. The time. We, we, we didn't work this part out. <laughs> I want you to hear what one commenter said. He said this. When I woke up this morning after watching for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It was like my whole life. Everything I've done and worked for lost its meaning. I still don't really see any reason to keep doing things at all. I live in a dying world. How can somebody, and how can people, be depressed about a world that doesn't exist? The Bible tells us that we were made for eternity. That there's something in us that longs for that kind of world. Where there are no tears, where there is no more pain, where there is beauty, where there is a sense of home. This is a real place that our hearts long for and that our hearts seek. And Jesus says, it's your sin that keeps you from experiencing that reality. But I have come that you may have everlasting life. Let's look at that verse once again. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life his love for you is unmerited it is sacrificial it is honest and it is eternal how do you receive this love Jesus says if you believe belief not just like um, you know I believe that God is real. The Bible says even the demons believe that Jesus exists. But if you believe in your heart, if you trust in him, here's the ABCs of belief. How do you receive the love of Jesus? You admit that you are a sinner that needs God. You, it's gonna be very difficult to find God if you don't understand the depth of your own sin. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe that what Jesus Christ did over 2,000 years ago counts for you. And then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life. A, B, C, you admit, you believe in what he's done, and then you confess him to be your Lord. And if that's you today, what I wanna do is I wanna lead you in a time where you can open up your heart that you can receive his everlasting unconditional unmerited honest love in your life would you pray with me this morning father i thank you for the kind of love that you gave to us lord i thank you for your son jesus lord a person in history god who came and who changed everything and have changed this world upside down. Father, I thank you that you offer this love to us freely. And I wanna pray for those who are here who may have come here today and who are far from you, who they want this love. And nothing can change them except the spirit of God. But you've been knocking on the door of their soul, God. And they wanna make this commitment to you today. They, like 
so many others before them, so many people here in this room, they want to give their lives to you and they want to say, I believe in what Jesus Christ has done and I want to experience his forgiveness and his love. I want to encourage you, listen, if you are here, we're just with the same attitude of prayer and you came here this morning, you're like, man, I, I, I want to make that commitment this morning. Maybe you, man, maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord or you need to commit your life for the very first time to experience his love this morning. And you'd say, man, I want to I wanna pray for that. I want to pray for that. Why don't you tell him right where you are? Right where you are, why don't you utter these words? Why don't you tell God? God, I need you. I am a sinner and I believe in what you've done. And I desire to experience your love. I want to give my life to you today. If you want somebody to pray with you this morning, you'd say, man, Pastor Carlos, I want you to pray for me this morning. I want to make that commitment. Just right where you are. Why don't you say, man, I would love some prayer. Why don't you just lift up your hands, wherever you may be in the room. Yes, I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Wherever you are, you say, man, I want to make this commitment, I believe. Why don't you tell them right now, Father, I pray for those who have raised their hand right now in this place right now, Father. I want to thank you that they're making this commitment to give their lives to you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that they might be born again, that you would give them a new sensibility and a new identity, and they may experience your love today in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you, um, in just a moment, the team is going to lead us through the song, and I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to give you some further direction and close us uh, in prayer.